You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, we're going to do something a little bit experimental tonight. We are a mixture of live and Zoom class on Judges. I don't know if this is going to work. When I was planning it, I thought, how hard could it be? And I'm realizing it's a little more complicated than I thought. But uh, what I do hope is that uh, the story of Judges comes through because we got so much that we need to to look at. It's such an interesting book. And so uh, without further ado, it's just after 7 o'clock. Why don't we uh, jump right in? You guys ready to go? Yeah? Everybody doing okay? Yeah? You guys are all doing okay? All right. Well, let's pray to begin. God of grace, uh, thank you for your grace. And we um, come to you tonight recognizing that, our, that you are our help and our strength. And uh, these are strange times and we need your guidance and we need your presence. Um, we need you every hour. And so we do pray uh, as we walk through um, your word that you would speak to us through your word. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive and the courage to respond to everything you say to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, what I'd like to do, okay, so just kind of um, some initial thoughts. Um, some, of, some of you are in bubbles. Some of you are not in bubbles. You know, sometimes we have conversation in the classes and so what i'm going to do is uh on zoom it's easy i can just do a breakout room um but uh for you guys what i may have you do is just if you have your mask on you can still talk to each other right um uh, just even over over the pews or whatever um and and even if you don't if you're socially distanced it, it, it should be fine um i'm going to ask you a couple questions and you can uh participate in these questions uh, or not it's up to you but I want to ask you how many of you here uh, have read at some point the book of Judges okay yeah most people how many of you read it many times okay yeah how many let me ask you what is uh, what is your experience of reading Judges um, if you're on, if you're online, just unmute yourself and say it. And I'll try to not. Uh, I'll try to keep track. What is your experience of reading Judges? Not nice. Frustrating. <laughs> it was fun when you were young. What's an ox code? But that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Repeatedly, their tribe going down, falling down. Oh, yeah. It's gory. Yeah. Anybody online? Any thoughts? Chaotic. Chaotic, yes. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, temporal power rather than uh, spiritual authority. What kind of power? Temporal power. Oh, earthly temporal power, power instead of spiritual authority. So it seems, it's kind of a worldly book in some way, it seems, right? Yeah, it, it is a very different book. Um, and, and, uh, but I do think, I do think, uh, it's, it's an important book. It is one of the most, um, 
difficult books in the Bible, I think. Um, it's extremely violent. It's extremely violent. It is uh, graphic. It is sometimes increasingly depressing. Uh, the characters that we meet, Jeremy, as you're saying, when you're young, it's like, oh, these guys are Bible heroes, right? As you get older, it's like, oh, I'm not so sure these guys are heroes. They're, a, they're, a, they're colorful characters for sure, but um, they, I don't know if they are like models for the Christian life. I mean, is Gideon a model for the Christian life? Is, is Samson a model? Even though in uh, what drives me crazy, and Sharon and I have talked about this, is uh, sometimes you'll see um, kids kids curriculum, kids church curriculum, not art, like, like just in general, uh, Sunday school curriculum. And it says, you know, be like Samson. I'm like, no, maybe don't be like Samson. Um, it's a dark book. And for many Christians, we just don't know what to do with it. Um, a lot of Christians ignore the book of Judges. You know, they read it in their one-year plan somewhere around February or March. Um, but sometimes we wonder, you know, what, what is this book doing in the Bible in the first place? And yet I would argue, and uh, I, I talked to a, a good friend of mine, and he, he was saying the same thing, that, um, that this is one of the books for our times. I've entitled this class, um, Judges, God and Chaos. Like, like, like what I usually do is uh, I usually uh, steal titles because titles are not copyrightable. You know, you could write a book called War and Peace and that would be okay. Uh, but it's a great title. And it's a title of a book um, by a guy named Barry Webb. And the book is called Judges, it's Judges and Ruth, and it's called God and Chaos. And I like the, the kind of play on words, God and chaos. Um, it is God operating in chaos. And uh, just uh, full disclosure, most of uh, the content in this class, you know, I just draw from smarter people than myself, and I just represent it. So Barry Webb is the commentator on the book of Judges. He is the guy. The other commentary he wrote is, is the, it's called the NICOT, the New International Commentary in the Old Testament. Very prestigious highly regarded commentary series. And so he's the guy who does Judges, and it's this massive walk through the book of Judges. So I'm just drawing from, uh, from Barry Webb. He's, he's, he's quite thoughtful, and he's got a very lively faith. Um, so let me share with you why I think um, Judges is a book for our time. Um, and, and the reason for that is, are you ready? We're living in, what, what word am I going to use? Unprecedented times. <laughs> Aren't you tired of people saying that? Like, isn't all time unprecedented? But anyhow, uh, but we are living in unprecedented times. We are, I mean, we're living in very strange times, certainly in, in recent history. And, uh, but what we're experiencing in our, in our world is a lot of fragmentation, a lot of disintegration. Just as an aside, has anybody watched that show? It's called um, The Social Dilemma. You saw it? It's a, it's a Netflix show, uh, but it looks at the effects of social media. It's very eye-opening. Anyhow, it does talk about the fragmentation of society. Um, and we see that happening here. We see that uh, maybe a little bit down south of the border. Um, we see it around the world. And it seems as if everyone is angry, anxious, and afraid at the same time. And truths that we thought were eternal are being challenged. 
what it means to be human, uh, what it means to be male and female, um, what is good, what is true, what is beautiful. Many of these things that we thought were fixed are being challenged. And a lot of people today are feeling disoriented and they're feeling unmoored. Anybody feel disoriented or unmoored? Yeah, um, to put, uh, put it in the language of judges, uh, we are in the middle of what seems to be a spiral. And it's very easy to be afraid and anxious these days. And that's why judges is so important. It's a t- it's a, it's a, it describes a time when everything around and within starts to spiral downwards, where the unthinkable begins to take place. And it ends with these haunting words where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? So, Judges, I think, speaks into our culture today. As I said, it is a violent book. It is a very violent book. And uh, you need to know that right from the get-go, that as you read through the book of Judges, you will encounter, you won't experience, hopefully you don't experience, you will encounter mutilation, disemboweling, uh, a tent peg through the head, uh, killing of children, eyes being gouged out, rape and dismemberment. And here's the problem. Well, I mean, if that weren't the problem, the problem is, is that we don't always get explanations as to why these things happen. Um, sometimes we get explanations, but sometimes we don't. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard, all, it's hard to always get a clear theological interpretation of what's going on at different times. And um, I just realized, you guys all have notes, right? Um, because I just realized I, uh, I had slides, but that would require me doing three things at once. And I think I'll just go with the notes. Is that okay? Uh, you got, did you guys get notes at all online? Awesome. Yeah, just follow along in the notes, because if I have to work slides, I, I think, speaking of disorientation, that will be me. Um, there's a, there's a number of things that Judges is all about. And let's, let's talk about a few of these. One of the things that comes up in the book of Judges as you're reading through it is that uh, culture is not morally neutral. Culture is not morally neutral. Uh, there are cultures in the world uh, where great evil is done. Uh, there's culture, I mean, it's not just... It's not those cultures. I mean, look at our own Western culture today, the individualism and consumerism and materialism and all sorts of stuff that go into uh, different cultures. But in our book, in, in the book of Judges, um, the culture that uh, the Israelites are going to have to come up against primarily is the culture of the Canaanites, which is a very, very dark culture. We'll talk about that. Secondly, is that... Um, Because evil uh, runs deep and penetrates to the core of culture, we we, we read that God, who is just, will not turn a blind eye uh, to injustice and evil. uh, But he judges. He judges it for what it is. And one of the questions as you make your way through judges, and this is a question that comes to me, is, is our world or is our particular culture increasingly 
coming under judgment. I mean, that's something we can explore as we go along. The other thing uh, that Judges reveals is not all religion is good, which is a very politically incorrect thing to say today, because, you know, all religions are good and all religions lead to God. Well, well, no. Um, everyone in the book of Judges is religious. Everyone is religious. But to be religious is not inherently a good thing. The question that shows up in the, in, in the book of Judges is a question of um, whom do you worship? Who are you worshiping? Because the Bible makes this very clear that, and we've talked about this if you've taken other classes, is that you become what you worship. The object of your affection will shape the person that you're becoming. So if, if you worship shopping, that will form your character. It will shape who you are. If, if you, if, you just go through the list. If, if, if you worship, um, if you worship, you know, fitness and, and your body and things like that, that will also shape your character. You become what you worship. Um, and the Israelites in, in this book, they turn from worshiping Yahweh to worshiping Canaanite gods. And before you know it, they end up doing the very same things that the Canaanite gods are doing. Uh, so we come across um, a number of groups, Canaanites, Philistines, Israelites. And so you, can, you, you learn that uh, religion can be good, can be bad, can be true, can be false. And I think it applies to today as well. The other thing is that, that comes out of the book of Judges is that God is good. God is loving. But God is also a warrior. Now, there's a, there's a picture of God that runs throughout the Bible that very few people talk about today. How many of you remember the old hymn? We can't sing it um, unless we all put on our masks and <laughs> we can remember the lyrics. How many of you remember the hymn, Onward, Christian Soldiers? What's the next line? Sing. Okay, just chant it, right? No singing, no. <laughs> Marching off to, uh, what is it, marching off to war or ma marching as to war, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you would, like, I've, I've heard that that hymn is actually banned in a lot of denominations. Oh, yeah, yeah, you could, yeah, that hymn is banned as long as well as, yeah, lots of other ones, but I won't get into that. Um, but one of the key themes in the book of Judges is, is whether Israel will learn warfare as a generation under Joshua did. Because in the Bible, warfare is real. God is warrior. And, uh, but this is what, and this is what Scripture teaches. Right? So now, in the New Testament, warfare looks differently, right? We're not conquering some land. or we're not. Warfare is, is, is understood in, in a spiritual sense. But if you read Ephesians 6, if you read actually all throughout the New Testament, the picture of the Christian life is a picture of warfare, right? Spiritual warfare. Which, again, is not really talked about a whole lot anymore, but which is very important. And uh, I enjoyed it in the summer when we were doing that uh, series on uh, uh, companions along the way when we looked at um, John Bunyan. Because uh, Pilgrim's Progress is all about, they're all pictures of warfare that run through that. And the, the Christian life is, is a struggle. There, is, there, is, there are battles that you need to fight. And judges, okay, what else? So what can judges teach? 
teach us in the church today? Well, lots of things we're going to look at. It teaches us about faith, the character of God, the human condition, the reality of judgment, uh, God's desire to save, and the struggles that we will experience in our spiritual lives. And so when we read Judges, expect to be, uh, expect to be thrown off a little bit. And it, it's going to shock you at times, especially as we dive in a little bit. But that's not a bad thing, because sometimes we need to be shocked. And uh, it's a reminder, as, as, we, as, as C.S. Lewis has always taught us, is that God is not a tame lion, right? He's not a tame lion, and sometimes we need to be shocked out of our complacency. Now, let me, um, let me just talk about a couple things, just, just by way of background. Um, about the book of Judges. Who wrote the book of Judges? Samuel? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's, the tradition goes back to Samuel. Um, we're not entirely sure. It, it seems like the tradition says it's Samuel. Whoever wrote it is a very, very careful writer. And as we explore how it's structured, you're going to learn so much. This, the guy who wrote Judges, well, I mean, the, the, the authors of, uh, of all the books in the Bible, absolute genius. I mean, God's inspiring them, of course. Um, but the way they put these books together is just, it's remarkable. And so we'll look at some of those things along the way. Uh, why is, uh, what time period does this uh, Judges cover? Roughly around, since uh, from the death of Joshua to the... Uh, inauguration of the monarchy. So it's a period of about 200 years, uh, from about 1225 BC to about 1050 BC. Why is it called Judges? Well, the word Judges uh, is a Hebrew word, uh, Soptim, whose root means to decide between or to rule. Now, the image of a judge, though, the image of the judge, sometimes when I was a kid, when I, no, I didn't know Judges when I was a kid, but when I was a new Christian, and I was reading Judges. I thought, Judges, Judges. And I, my image was a judge sitting with his gavel and with a wig. And No, when you think of judge and the judges, the image that should come to mind is the image of a warlord. Okay, that's, that's the image, is the image of a warlord. Um, how does Judges link with Joshua? Well, it's, it's the next book. Um, the whole context is Joshua and his generation, if you know the book of Joshua, um, they enjoy covenant blessing uh, because they serve Yahweh faithfully. They find rest in the land. Um, and we learn in the book of Judges that the following generations do not do that well. They do not do that well. Instead, where Joshua is building altars in honor of Yahweh, uh, the following generations are building altars in honor of Baal, right? So um, it's, it's a big question of what comes after Joshua, and we're going to explore that a little bit as we go along. But basically what happens in the, in, the, in the book of Judges is you have a strange thing happen. You, have, uh, you go from, from uh, a leader, uh, leaders and, and the people who are honoring God to by the end of the book of Judges, you have all the characteristics of Canaan, the Canaanization of Israel. It's really interesting. It's, it's dark and it's a warning. Uh, how is Judges uh, structured? You'll see in your notes, you have a double prologue, you have 12 judges, and then a double epilogue. It's, it's structured very, very carefully. 
And then I, I have in your notes, um, what does judges look like? And it's the best picture I could come up with. And it's a downward spiraling staircase because it is a spiral. If you're like me, if you ever studied the book of Judges or read somebody teaching on the book of Judges, what is usually taught is, you know, the book of Judges is a cycle. You know, Israel sins, and then they cry out to God, and God raises up a judge, and God rescues them, and then they get complacent, and then they get invaded. and It's just a cycle that keeps repeating it, but that's actually not the case. We're going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, uh, next week. Um, if you want to understand the book of Judges, you have to see Judges as this, as this descent into madness, it's this descent into absolute chaos. That is what's going on in the book of Judges. Um, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And by the end, it is dark. It is so dark. And the very fact, I think, the very fact that Israel survives as a nation is such a picture of God's grace. Because by the very end, it's like, how is this nation even going to survive? But it does. And so grace is a big theme that we're going to come back to. Now, in your notes, do you see a reading schedule next? Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to have to send you a new one because <laughs> I kind of laid it out. And then when I was working uh, on this tonight, I ended up uh, just getting on a roll. And I think I did the first three weeks for tonight. <laughs> and so which, what that means is it allows us to spend a little bit more time with the different judges. So I'll send you a new uh, reading list. Uh, but I would encourage you to make your way through the book of Judges during the week. It doesn't take long to read, but just just... Pick your way through it. So let's, uh, let's jump in to the Judges. Uh, you have a Bible, I hope? If not, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. My cyber friends, do you all have your Bible? Yes? <laughs> Is this okay? Are you guys following okay online? I feel like I'm ignoring you. Okay. Because I care for you very much, just so you know. Even those who have your cameras off, I still care for you. <laughs> I told my students, I, am, I, I teach at a, at a college, and uh, it's all on Zoom. I'm teaching church history, and there's 21 students. So on Monday mornings, I, I teach them. I said, everybody put your cameras on and keep them on. And they're like, why? I said, well, because I don't know if you, if you, you know, I'm here for attendance, and you turn off your camera, and you go back to bed. It's 8 in the morning. That's what I would do. So you're not going to do that. <laughs> so... Well, you never know, right? Okay, let's uh, take a look at Judges. All right, this is, we're going to be making our way through it. We're not going to read everything in, in the class, but we can, we can look at different parts. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into this new territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with them. Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adoni Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adoni Bezek fled and that they pursued him. And caught him, and already we got our dismemberment. They cut off, <laughs> cut off his thumbs and big toes. 
why why did it cut off his thumbs and big toes? Just curious. Can't wield a sword and can't run. Yeah, can't. Mike just said. But he did to the other people before him. Yeah, that guy. Yes, that's good. Good. Nara. Also, a um, form of humiliation. Yeah, you can't hold. You can't fight. You can't wield a sword, and you can't run. You can't run. Yeah. And humiliate him. And humiliation. Yeah. And so we see in verse 7, it says, And Adoni Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. So the book of Judges opens with a boundary event. Joshua has died, right? After the death of Joshua. And all that was associated with him ended. Now, Joshua was such an important leader in Israel's history. He was, as you know, he was mentored by Moses. Uh, he led Israel into the promised land. He led many battles. He was strong and courageous. Um, and under his uh, leadership, the land experienced rest. And at the beginning of Judges, Joshua has died. And so the question is, who's going to follow in his steps? which is a very important point. There's a, a Chinese proverb that says, the cloth tears best at the seam. And so sometimes things can tear apart or sometimes things can carry on. Uh, the big question that Judges addresses is, after Joshua, will Israel remain strong and courageous? Will they keep trusting in God? His presence, his power, his covenant promises, or will they fail? That's the big question. What is going to happen? Well, it begins with unity, right? We just read, uh, read that passage. We, we read that at the beginning of uh, Judges, Joshua had a significant impact on all of Israel. And, and what do the people do right from the beginning? It says, after the death of Joshua, the people did what? They inquired of the Lord. They sought the Lord. Well, that's good. First thing they do is they turn to Yahweh. And they seek his guidance and will. And, and, and that's a pretty good legacy. It tells us that Joshua lived in such a way that people um, looked at Joshua and he said, Joshua, he's a guy under God's leadership. And Joshua lived his life in such a way that he recognized that God was his leader and he would seek God out. He would inquire of the Lord and then live in response to that. This generation, at least some of them, see that and they do as he does. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable. It's a remarkable picture of leadership, right? Um, we, uh, Denisa and I, we lead um, the uh, pastoral apprentices. So we have five pastoral apprentices after the church who are just kind of learning the ropes, trying to figure out whether or not God's calling them into pastoral ministry. And one of the sessions that we do is a session on power. Because a Christian understanding of power, how we understand power, is very different. Uh, from the world. Because the world's understanding of power is as I have power, you don't, right? It's, it's a zero-sum game. If I have power, Jeremy, you don't. It's, and, and if you have power, I have less. Like, that's the way it works. But that's not the Christian understanding of power. The Christian under, understanding of power is expansive because God's power is expansive. And we lead only insofar as we are led. So the Christian understanding of leadership is very different than the world's understanding of leadership. 
And, and here we get a great example of that. You know, Joshua, he lived under God, and then, but he also led the people. And then you have this uh, right at the beginning. It's like the people inquire of the Lord. Good on them. So this is, this is encouraging. Hey, hey, it's not so bad. Very beginning. It's uh, the beginning of Judges through their leader, Joshua. Though, though Joshua died, the people learned leadership from him. They inquired of the Lord. They sought his direction. And we see that they worked together. That's pretty good. Uh, Joshua wasn't an autocrat. We often read Joshua's name. It says, Joshua and the elders of Israel. That's good. Heads of family, heads of tribe. We see Joshua, he led in a collaborative way. Um, then we read in, in Judges, in, in 2.7, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who li outlived Joshua. And so we got this interesting form of leadership. And so one of the key tribes in Israel that will take on leadership is which tribe? We just encountered it. Judah. Which, which, which tribe? Judah. Judah. Yes, Judah is really important. But even Judah, which we read here, it says, uh, you know, who shall, you know, they inquire, who shall go up first against the Canaanites? And the Lord said, Judah should go up. And so Judah does go up, but he doesn't go alone. There's another tribe that goes with him. Uh, the, the, the Simeonites, they, they go up with them. And so it's, it's good. And they do battle. They don't do it alone. They inquire of the Lord. They fight this battle. And they have success. And they, we read about this guy, Adoni Bezek, who had done terrible things to other groups. And so we see God through Judah judging judging the sins of the Canaanites, which is a reminder that God is just. We can't forget that. That the heart of God is a heart of justice. Now, a lot of people, I mean, maybe that, 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 that bothers people. It's like, you know, I know God is love, but God is just. And, 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 and you know, to bring justice against this tyrant. Well, as we've said before, I mean, what do you do with guys like Hitler? What do you do with the Paul Potts and the Stalins of this world? You would hope that God is a God who's just. Right? And one thing that this, this passage teaches us is that, is that tyrants are not going to get away with things. That there is justice. And so Judah is key here. Now, Judah plays a very important role in, in the Bible. We see right back in the book of Genesis, this prophecy about Judah. Um, a scepter shall not depart from Judah. Uh, we read that in, uh, in Genesis uh, 49. And starting back in Genesis, carrying on in Judges, the tribe of Judah is important. It carries right through David uh, to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, Right? And so at this stage of our story, okay, we're chapter one, just a little way in. Things are looking pretty good in Judges. Israel seeks the Lord. They inquire of him. They trust him. Judah steps up, doesn't go alone. And there is a great victory. Okay, why don't we just stop Judges here? And let's just call it a night. Like, this is good, right? Ah, we can't stop. We can't stop because we have to answer a very awkward question. And what is the awkward question? The question is this, what went wrong? What went wrong? I mean, because everything starts off well, but then, then, then take a look. 
Um, look at chapter 1, uh, verse 19. It said, the Lord was with Judah. That's good. And he took possession of the hill country. Good. But, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, and Mo, as Moses had said, and he drove them out from his three sons of Anak, people of Benjamin. Oh, wait. People of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived there with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel. And the Lord was with them, and the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name, okay, this is interesting. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city. And they said to him, please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck down the city with the edge of the sword, and they let the man and his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called his name Luz. That is his name to this day. Okay. Here's what i like you to do. What i like you to do is, I want you to look at this passage here. Verse 22 to 26. Just that last part that I read. And I want you to look at it. And, you know, if you're by yourself, just think about it. If you're in couples or in groups, uh, talk about it. You guys, um, you can call... Speak to each other across the pews if you want. That's okay. Um, but I want you to ask this question, ask the question, what do you notice in this passage? Is there anything that's not quite right about what you've just read? Is, is there something strange about this passage? And if so, what is it? I want you to look at that because it's not easy to see at first, but I want you to look at it a little more carefully because in this passage, you're gonna get a little key into what's going on, what the problem is, okay? So I'm gonna give you guys a few minutes to do that. Um, do you guys wanna go into a dreaded breakout room? Ha ha ha, I have the power. I'm gonna put you into a breakout room for a second. Remember, it's awkward, so just talk about it and then we'll, I'll bring you back in about um, two or three minutes. Sound good? Thumbs up? Okay. Okay, here we go.
I'm going to assume that some of you guys online are just, uh, you don't want to join a group. Sometimes it doesn't work. And so if you do want to join a group and you don't get placed into a group, and that's fine if you don't, uh, but if you're trying to, uh, just send me a note, okay? So I just tried joining. Yeah. And then I came right back. Like it, it brought me. <laughs> okay, there's the little. So do you get a little notification to say that uh, you're being moved into a yeah, group? Yeah, I did. And I pressed join and it came, I came right back. And yeah, sometimes that happens. I don't know why that is. Let me try. I'll try sending it to. Yeah. Uh, give it a shot. Hello, Monica Tano. You're probably... Okay, one more minute. I should say that loud too. One more minute. You guys figured it all out? Figure it. It's not easy. I mean, I actually had to help. I read the, the commentaries like, oh, yeah, that's good. Wanda, oh, yeah. Well, I figured Wanda would know. You're smart because you're sitting with Wanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he your driver? Pretty good with cars, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> Does he drive quickly, though? That's true. <laughs> All right, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Then we'll gather in. No? It's, it's not easy, actually. I don't. I only know this because I read the commentaries like, wow, that's really interesting. I've totally missed it. So I'm going to come across as, wow, David, you know this, right? But I don't. Oh, I should have paused the recording, but I didn't. Oh, well. All this got recorded. I'll, I'll edit it out later. Okay, everybody's back. Everybody's back cyberly. And you guys never went anywhere. So, um, Okay, so what do you notice in this passage? What, what shows up? Anything weird? Anything wrong? Anything not sit right? Well, first off, what, what does this passage, remind, this story, remind you of? Is there another passage in the Bible? Rahab, exactly. It sounds like Rahab. Where, you know, Rahab, you know, she is, the spies come and then she delivers Israel into, yeah, exactly. Same kind of story, right? Mm-hmm. 
What's, 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 what's the matter with this? You know nothing about this guy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do we, what does it say about him? It says, and the spies saw a man coming out of the city and they said, please show us a way into the city and we'll deal, we'll deal kindly with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he shows them into the way of the city. And, um, and then what happened? Yeah. And what happens to this guy? Yeah. And then what does he do? He starts another city. So what kind of impact did this whole experience have? Like what happened to Rahab? Yeah, she's actually brought in. I mean, we, we, we read about her in the uh, genealogy. I mean, she's, she's a hero of the faith. Like it's an incredible person. Who is this guy and what, what did he believe? Himself. We don't know. We don't know. Um, do we get a sense that, uh, that he became a, uh, an Israelite? Uh, they worship Yahweh, a god fear? No. Not a, he's a Canaanite. And he leaves. <laughs> he's a Canaanite. He's a traitor. And he leaves. Yeah, and, and he's still a Canaanite. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really strange. And he builds a city. And he names it Luz. And he carries on with his Canaanite beliefs. What is going on here? What is happening? So hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to that. Okay? Um, This passage summarizes, this passage at this point summarizes the attempts by other tribes to expel the Canaanites from the land. And it's a series of failures. Even Judah is not all success because he runs into the chariots of, of, of iron. Chariots of fire, I was going to say. Chariots of, of, of iron. Yeah, so we read that the Canaanites not only resisted the Israelites, but they ended up living with them. Which is strange, because if God is with Israel, why, why do they have these difficulties? Well, I think a key passage, look at chapter 2, okay? Keep your, keep your Bibles open. Chapter 2, right? It says, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to uh, Boshim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I said, uh, I will never break my covenant with you and you will make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? And now I say, I will not drive them out before you but they shall become thorns in your sides and their God shall be a snare to you. And as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept and they called the name of that place Bosham and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Okay. So we read that we come across this angel of the Lord who represents God. And he says, you know, the issue is that you have not obeyed my voice. So how have they not obeyed his voice? Well, I think it goes back to this passage that we just read. And the key part here is this. And it doesn't show up in the English. In verse 24, chapter 1, verse 24, the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you 
we will deal kind. Do you know what the, there's a Hebrew word that's translated kindly. Anybody know their Hebrew? What word is typically used? Chesed, yes. It's the word hesed. Now, hesed is a word for um, loving kindness. I think the uh, Greek uh, equivalent would be agape, I think. I think. Um, but it's, it's, it's covenant language. So when you say, I'm going to deal kindly with you, it's, you're basically saying, I'm going to show you loving kindness. I will actually, I'm, I'm going to covenant with you, with a Canaanite. And, 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 and that's a problem <laughs> because it's, it's, it's covenant language that they pledged to him. And as a result, um, the Israelites are not going to be able to drive out the Canaanites. That's what the angel says. They're always going to struggle with Canaanite culture and ideas. I think it's a warning to the church in many ways. This is what Barry Webb says. I thought this was a great quote. He says, a church that plays catch-up to its ambient culture will increasingly have nothing to say to that culture. In the end, no reason to exist. And uh, when the church... (laughs) When a church pays too much attention, I think we have to pay attention to culture, of course. But if we are always trying to cozy up with culture and ask the question, well, what will people think of us? In the end, we're going to have nothing to say to culture. Now, during COVID, one of the big questions has always been, you know, how shall the church respond to COVID? You know, do, do we, you know, follow the 50 persons, what Bonnie Henry said? And, and, and we've said, yes, uh, we, we, as to honor the government, that's what we're going to do. That's, and that's all, that's all good. I'm not uh, d- disputing that. Um, but sometimes I hear people say, well, well, if this happens, what will people think? What will people, what will people say? And my response is always, I don't care. <laughs> Like, because if, if, if I'm going to, if, if the church is going to carry out the work of the church, looking over its shoulder and seeing, does, what, does, what does our culture think of this? We're in a lot of trouble. Because, well, I think that um, sometimes, okay, now, I think the church should pay attention to the world. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. But, who is the head of the church? Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And so as he leads and as he calls us, we live our lives in response to him. Right? And so the danger that the church often faces is that we live our life not before an audience of one, but we live our lives before an audience of public opinion. And that's a tricky game, because if we're always going to say, what do people think of the church? What is the church? Are people impressed? Are they not impressed? What, are, what, what is people's opinion of the church? We're, it's a dangerous game. Because in reality, throughout history, the church has never really been that popular in the world. 
And when you follow Jesus, it is a narrow way. And you're going to have a lot of people going the broad way, thinking that you're crazy for taking the narrow way. And so we have to, it's not, it's not like we, we, we're mouthy and we're, ah, oh, we don't care what the world says, we're going to do whatever. It's not that. It's not that we're not caring, but it's like we take our marching orders from Jesus. And if we take our marching orders by what people may or may not think of us, we run into trouble because then you're, you're living before an audience of many who really aren't followers, whose lordship is not Jesus, and you're trying to somehow fit in and make sure that you are uh, popular with the world. And that's not what, what does Jesus teach us? If you follow him, what's, what's, how's the world going to feel towards you? They're not going to be happy with you. They're not going to be happy with you. And sometimes as a church, especially the evangelical church, and again, it's, it's not that we want to be, you know, thumb our nose and we're going to do whatever we want. We don't care. It's, 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 we live before an audience of one. And uh, I think that's been a real struggle with the church during this pandemic is we want to, you know, who do we listen to? How do, and so there's a lot of different opinions during that uh, about that. But I do know this historically, pandemic and all that aside, whenever the church tries to fit in to whatever the surrounding culture is, it, it before long loses any voice. It has nothing to say. Does that make sense? Girl? Yeah? Okay, we can talk about it later. Does that make sense, online people? Yeah? It's kind of a, <laughs> an aside. 100%. <laughs> Um, let's get one, let's look at one more point tonight. What time is it? Oh, we're doing okay. Um, one more point. And I want to look at, uh, chapter two, verse six. This is really, well, <laughs> I always say this. I have to watch myself. I'm always saying this is really important. And if everything is really important, then it kind of loses this punch. This is especially important. Um, Verse 6, when Joshua dismissed, okay, oh, wait a second. Look at verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. When Joshua, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Wait a minute, I thought Joshua was dead. It's kind of a strange passage, eh? So this is the second prologue. There's two prologues to, to the book of Judges. The second prologue is, is going to talk a little bit about theology, a little bit about who... Um, who God is. The first part is more political. This is more theological. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel, each went to the inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who, lived, who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation who were with, who were, uh, also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What? You gotta let that sink in. Yeah. And there arose another generation after him who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. 
I remember one uh, professor of mine once said uh, that the church is always one generation from extinction and also one generation from revival. Um, this is an interesting generational comment here. Now, I want to ask you, now you guys are all different ages, all different ages, I can see. Um, what is it that encourages you about the next generation? And some of you are in that generation, so you're going to say what's encouraging about your generation. Uh, and, 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 and the second thing is what challenges you uh, about, this, about the next generation? And I'm asking you, those of you who are in that generation. So I can see there's Reesh, there's lots of you guys here that are, are in that emerging generation, and some of you are in a later generation. I'm not going to point everybody out, but uh, what encourages you about the new generation and what challenges you about the new generation? Let me hear from you. Justice is a very, very important, um, yeah, it's very, very important to, to the younger generation, more so than in my generation, for sure. Absolutely. Good. That's encouraging. Yeah, I can hear, hear from you guys, too. Feminism. Passionate. Okay, good. Yeah. Passion is a character. Yeah. Lots of, lots of uh, octane, lots of emotion. Let me ask you cyber people. What do, what do you think? <laughs> there is no, so much encouraging. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Anybody got any comments? Any thoughts? <laughs> there's a lot of drive i mean maybe that's the same as passion but like yeah a lot of drive a lot of imp impetus right. to get stuff done yeah there's an impetus to 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 change the world you could actually put, put it in a, in a big sense yeah yeah good okay so it's passionate that's good they want to change the world and there's an emphasis on justice good Yeah, okay, so Natalia, she's, yeah, is, is that a characteristic of, of most young generations? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was pretty passionate when I was a youngin. Um, but I think that sense of justice and even that sense that you could change the world, like I grew up in the Cold War and I thought, that's never going to change. Like I never thought the Soviet Union, like I study political science, I say international relations and the paradigm was the Cold War, which we understood was going to go on forever. And then, then the year I graduated, everything fell apart and my whole degree was worth nothing. Um, <laughs> so I'm okay. Uh, okay, so what, those are good things. What challenges you about the next generation? What are some, some maybe some blind spots? I think there's a sense of impatience. I think uh, Jim Morrison summed it up when he's saying we want the world and we want it now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, there's an impatience. That's what I'm hearing from, uh, from Barry online, is that there's an impatience, right, uh, about changing the world. Yeah, like what they're drawing from in order to make the 
decision um, is, is, is problematic if truth is relative. And yeah, throwing in the baby out with the bathwater is we want to change and everything comes down and everything gets changing, some good things, right? The idea that new is always better, yeah. Good. Everything is good and that's good is a big deal now. Yeah, yeah. Well, here we have this situation. Uh, this, is, this is quite remarkable um, about generation. But one of the things we need to recognize is that uh, generations will always come and go. Um, every single one of us is getting older. Right? I've known some of you for many, many years. <laughs> I've known some of you guys for over, over 20 years. Um, and so we are all getting older. And uh, even people who used to be on the cutting edge, who are the young generation, I've seen them grow up and they're no longer young. Uh, we had a, a young pastor here 17 years ago. He was a guy I knew quite well. And uh, he's like cutting edge. And David, you're, you're, you're a dinosaur. You're getting in the way. I said, just you wait. I said, you will become a dinosaur. Just you wait. And now I talk to him. He goes, yeah, I'm a dinosaur. Because <laughs> he's, 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 he's a dad and he's just older and he's lost his... <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. Um, but that's, that's the way it is. I mean, uh, boomers are on the way, uh, on the way out. <laughs> Uh, boomers is such a dominant influence for half a century, uh, but their, their days are coming to an end. Um, but if you're an older generation, this could be quite anxiety producing because you feel like, if you're like me, you feel like you know the best, right? You, you've, you've learned a lot. And the younger generation, if they were wise, they should listen to you, right? Amen? Amen. <laughs> And one of my big concerns is uh, my kids, the younger generation, not listening to my wisdom. Not listening to all the things that I know. And then having to go through life being wrong. I just, I think that's really sad. <laughs> but the danger of generational passing on truth to generation is uh, to different generations is really important. And that connects to judge to uh, the book of judges because in this section, it's the second prologue. Uh, we we encounter Joshua again. It's a different kind of introduction. And um, what it tells us is it tells us that Joshua, he, he um, the, the inheritance from Joshua was, was, was the land and all the tribes went to their, their allotment in the land, in the promised land. It's all good. Joshua dies, but that's okay because the land has been passed on to the next generation. God is still their God. God is still their leader. But then something happens. And it says this. It says, a generation came up. The next generation. And it says, they, who, who, who neither who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And, and that's staggering. How did that happen? Let me hear from you. How do, how do you think that happened? They didn't teach to, to their next generation. They didn't talk about it. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. So you guys are both saying the same thing. You, Jeremy and, 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 and Ira, I think, I think it was Naira. Um, we're, we're saying that it's the parents. They were told to pass it on to the next generation. Maybe they failed in what they... Maybe they didn't want to listen. Very good. Well... Maybe they're influenced by their Yeah. Culture. I need you to talk to my kids. They'll listen to you. Um, no. Uh, it's interesting because memory is so important in the Bible. The memory is so important in life. And uh, I like... Um, one of the things I like that uh, Pope Francis says, he says this, he says, a Christian without memory is not a true Christian, but only halfway there. Because you need to know where you've come from in order to know where you're going. And uh, without memory, we're in a lot of trouble. Barry Webb says, memory is a fragile thing. If it's not reinforced by constant teaching and recall, it can grow weak, too weak to keep us anchored to what is foundational in our existence. And so what happens when we as a people lose our memory? We end up in the book of Judges. So I think it's, it's, it's an interesting thing when it says there's a generation that grew up that neither knew the Lord or what he had done. I think, I think there's two factors at, at play. I think it could be that a generation did not pass on truth to the next generation which is a challenge for us who are parents or grandparents to make sure that our kids and our grandchildren, or if you have nephews or, or anybody you have an influence over, right? That you pass on the faith to them. But it's interesting in this passage, it seems to suggest, this is what Barry Webb uh, suggests. He says the suggestion in the passage is that it was not so much that the parents didn't pass it on, that's what you were saying, Wanda, is that you had a generation that did not want to listen. They did not want to listen. And, and, and so look at verse 11. This, and this is the key that kind of gets us down that road. It says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and they bowed to them and they provoked and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm and the, as the Lord had warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. What, what is suggesting here is that Israel, this next generation, they turn away from God. For some reason, they turn away from God. Now, we can think of reasons why, but, but they turned away. And, and, and there's, a, there's a term, it's an old term that's used for turning away from God, and the word is, is apostasy. And uh, apostasy is a choice. It is to choose evil over good, to forsake the Lord for something else. And uh, that's, that's what's being described here. And where apostasy leads is it leads to evil. It's connected to ingratitude for what the Lord had done. It's willfully choosing to do what is right in your own eyes. 
It is trusting in yourself rather than God. So it's not just turning away. It's not just turning away from God. Apostasy is turning away and turning towards. Turning, in this case, it's turning towards the gods of the Canaanites. And they turn to these other gods. Why? It's the air that they breathed. It's the water that they were swimming in. It, it was all around them, Canaanites. Canaanite culture. Yeah, I mean, the Canaanite gods in some ways were, were easier to, uh, to manipulate, right? But it was all around them. It was, it was everywhere they looked, which I think is a warning to us because it's easy to turn away from God and turn towards what's, what's all around us, whether it be ideas or things or all sorts of things. And so what happens is they turn away from God and we're, we're left with this. It's, it's, we're going to unpack this a little bit. We're, uh, we're left with the wrath of God, which is not something we talk about very much. But the wrath and the anger of God is real. The actual literal um, Hebrew, when it, says, um, when it says that God's anger was kindled against Israel, the Lord, the anger, um, oh, they provoked the Lord to anger. The, the Hebrew is Yahweh's nose became hot against Israel. Like that's the actual meaning. God is passionate. He, he has perfect, appropriate emotions. And, and God's anger is not, it's not uh, without cause. It's, it's, it's serious. And he saw what they did, and that is his, his reasonable response. Um, how, how many of you guys, this is just as an aside, how many of you have um, seen the movie Lord of the Rings? Oh, you've seen Lord of the Rings. I see those hands. Okay. How many of you have read the book, Lord of the Rings? Yeah. It's International Hobbit Day today. It's International Hobbit Day today? Yeah. I did not know. <laughs> no way. Wow, yeah. That's, yeah, that's good. That's good. Wow. We were at the Hobbit Village a couple of years ago. That, that's, that's very good. Well, it's, it's, it's a good Hobbit to get into to celebrating these things, right? <laughs> Well, there's a scene. There's a scene in, um, in The Two Towers. And uh, if, if you know the story, I mean, I, I won't go into detail, but uh, there's uh, like a tree-like person, and his name's Treebeard, right? Now, in the movie, you got two young hobbits, and they're trying to convince the ants, which are like the tree people, to fight against this wizard who had gone rogue, this guy named Saruman. And the ants, because they're tree-like people, they're very slow in deliberation. They don't, they take their time, right? Because they're trees, right? Trees get lots of time. And so, in the movie, do you guys remember, how does Treebeard end up going up and fighting against Saruman? The hobbits trick him. <laughs> the hobbits tricked them. They trick him. They say, oh, let's go this way. This way it'll be faster. And then he sees all this destruction and he reacts and they go to war because he, could, he just was blown away and he was so angry. And it was a reaction, an emotional reaction, and they attacked. That's not how the book goes. The book goes that 
all the ants gather together and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk about and they think about what's going on, what's happening, the pros and the cons, and then they come to a decision and they go to war. It is the opposite to a reaction. It is actually, this is the right response to what is happening. And Tolkien's making a point. He's made a, a point about the war and stuff like that, but uh, he's saying that you can come to a decision in this case, to respond to injustice reasonably and rationally. You don't have to have an emotional reaction. It doesn't have to be spontaneous. And I think that's important because sometimes when we think of God and his anger, we think that, you know, we do something wrong and God's like, ah, you know, just a, it's a reaction. But that's not the picture of God at all. God is wise and he is just, but he is a warrior and he can, and, and his reasonable response to evil is anger. I think that's an important point. Um, and so we have the, the wrath of God. It's not capricious. It's, a, it's in accordance to what he said he was going to do. We'll talk about that more uh, next week. God's anger has terrible consequences. We read the consequences is that Israel finds itself in terrible distress. And in the New Testament, that terrible distress, the word to describe it is hell. And so, thanks be to God, we're on this side of the cross. Because the cross is going to, as we make our way through Judges, your heart's going to long for the cross, I'll tell you that. But one of the things we read in Revelation is that Jesus is the is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And it's a reminder that our lives will only work the way they're supposed to work when they're in sync with God. When we're out of sync with God, when we choose to go our own way, the consequences are terrible. We end up, you and I will end up in terrible distress. And the book of Judges, I think, describes that better than than, than a lot of books, the terrible distress that comes from living or trying to live our lives independently of the one who created us, who redeems us, and who loves us, and wants us, and who is life, and who wants us to experience life. And so that's our intro to, uh, to the book of Judges. What, what we're going to do um, next week is we're going to um, kind of map it out. We're going to map out how the whole book looks. Um, we're going to look at, uh, we'll carry on in our, in our chapter two, but uh, we're going to map it out. And then we're going to uh, walk through many of these, many of the stories that, uh, that we're actually, we're going to walk through the entire book of Judges. We're not going to skip over everything. We can't read everything in our classes just because it would take up too much time. So read the book of Judges, keep, keep up with it as you're going along this week. Um, but we are going to actually walk through the entire book of Judges in our time together. Our class is going to be about 10 weeks long. And uh, it will be, yeah, it's, it's just going to be a fascinating book. But before I leave you, um, any questions? Any questions in Cyberland? Any questions here? Jeremy. Yeah, the key word is the word kindly. 
uh, we'll, we are going to deal kindly with you. And that word kindly shows up. Um, it is a word chesed, which is a covenantal language. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, with the story of Rahab, the story of Rahab is Rahab is essentially saying, your God will be my God. And like, I'm, I'm in, I, 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 we've heard about who you are. We've heard about your God and he is God. And I want to be part of that, right? Here you have these guys, they're just making a deal. They're just making a deal. They're like, hey, you know, sneak us in and we're all, oh, we'll make a covenant with you. And, and the guy goes, yeah, I'm going to die if I don't make this covenant. All right, good, you're in. Take my family. We'll still be Canaanites. And boy, that was a close shave, right? It's, it's very different. It's very, but it looks the same. Yeah, it looks the same. Um, any other comments, questions? Online, any questions? Pastor David? Yeah. Hi. I'm just wondering, um, this is right after they've entered the promised land, right? Like the, yeah. the book of Judges. Yeah. So the factor to their um, turning away from God so rapidly, I'm wondering, it, was there any order in worship? Like they had temple, like back in the, the wilderness, they had temples set up. Right, right. I'm just wondering if they had these centrals, you know. Oh, okay. Sarah's asking a question, did they have a central area of worship um, mm -hmm. that was still... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I mean, and that, 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 that certainly as, as they go to the different places, um, how they carried on in worship is, is, is a good question. Let me get back to you. I'll, 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 I'll yeah. think about that and I'll get back to you next yeah. week. That's a great question. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. Sorry. I mean, it's, it's great. It's such a good question. I, I don't want to just take a shot at it, but uh, I'll, I'll get yeah, back yeah. to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So one is asking, so what do we do to the next gen for the next generation other than pray? Well, I think we pray for the next generation for sure. I think um, we mentor the next generation. And now here's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of younger people do want to be mentored, but they're too shy to ask. It, it, it's true. Yeah, well, that's ideal. How many, Jeremy, Jeremy, you've been part of the men's group for a long time. How many times have I tried doing the mentoring? Many, many times. And guys are like, yes, we need mentors. Yes, I need to be a mentor. All right, let's put you guys together. Like, I have no time. What's that? We, it, well, it's been a hard slog. I've, I've, I've taken three hits at it in 17 years, and it, it stuck a little bit. Uh, you, you, you've been great at it. But uh, for men, they cry out for mentors, and, and, they, and they're willing to mentor until it actually comes time to mentoring. And it's like, yeah, well, I'd like to, but, you know, stuff's going on, and, and it just doesn't happen. Well, I find for w women they find those mentoring relationships uh, maybe a little bit easier than men. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it happens naturally. Yeah, it does. Um, 
you know, just recently I had uh, uh, another friend ask me uh, to mentor them. And yeah, so I think that's important, but you need to be intentional. I think as, as, as if you're, if you're in, in an older generation, look for a younger person. You don't even have to say, let's mentor. You just say, Hey, you know, do you want to hang out? Do you want to talk? It's hard right now with, with, with COVID, but I think, I think there are things that you can do, but I think for our generation, for our older generation, we need to be intentional because it's hard. I think for a lot of younger generation, I mean, my kids have a hard enough time talking on the phone. I say, you know, I'll tell my daughter, can you phone somebody? What talk on the phone? <laughs> like, yes, just talk on the phone. It's like, Oh, we just text. Right. I think that's something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Merle was saying that, uh, that, um, that sometimes you just have to, you just have to lean in and you just have to keep going that chances are, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy, but people, I think deep down long for that relationship. I wouldn't be standing here if it weren't for mentors. I mean, I've shared this before, but, uh, Don Krause, um, who's, uh, former senior pastor here Don's been mentoring me we entered into a mentoring relationship in 1999 when I was at uh, Regent College and uh, we've we've met regularly ever since and so I I would not have made it through my early years of ministry without Don for sure yeah well I wanted and I saw something in Don but Don Don was intentional about uh, mentoring too yeah and he's mentored so many young people over the years I was a young person back then. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, wrap up. I will lead us in prayer. And then uh, everybody online, did you guys do okay tonight? Yeah? All right? All right, good. This is strange, but I think it's going to, hopefully it's going to work. All right, let me pray and we'll go from here. <laughs> oh, a little thumbs up emojis. Warms my heart. We have real thumbs over here. Yeah. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your um, truth. And uh, a reminder that our lives, oh Lord, when we, when we follow you, when we walk with you, we live. And there's, it's so easy to be, to be drawn into all these different directions, to be um, enticed by a lot of different things out there. Lord, apart from you, there is no life. And so tonight we turn and we turn back towards you. And we pray that you would give us life. Thank you for your book of, book of Judges. We pray that you would continue to speak your word into our hearts as we make our way through your word. May you make your way through our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you. Thank you very much. God oh, bless you. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.